Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. As, uh, as we start uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series and actually conclude with the last part of our series called Work Matters. And uh, it's been really encouraging for me personally as I've been working, and some of you might not know, but I actually work kind of as a research assistant in the Chinese University of Hong Kong, and I actually help a professor do research. And um, it's, been, it's been a huge blessing for me, even going through the devotionals that we've had uh, every single day. And I, it's just been challenging for me to realize, you know what, there's parts of my life where I've separated from my faith. And, and in particular, my work life has been uh, separated from my faith life in ways that I realize, you know what, there's parts of my work life that I've never really explored how God really wants me to surrender that to him and integrate that as a part of my Christian beliefs. And so as we've been talking about this, the first week we talked about the why of work. And that first week we talked about how we have to know the importance of work because that's what guides us for how we ought to work. We talked about God's original intent for work. We looked at Genesis, and we said, you know what? God has a beautiful plan for work. In fact, all work is beautiful, and in and of itself, it's it's something that is pleasing to God. And then the second week, last week, we talked about the way we work, and we talked about when God is my motivation for work, then there will be a transformation at work. And I I saw some of the life groups this past past week were talking about excellence, And then we're like, oh, when I do excellent work or when I do excellent study, this is what it looks like. And I was like so thankful that as a church we're growing and learning what it means to do excellent work because God is the creator of work. And so therefore, now we ought to live it out. And today what we want to talk about is the worship in work. How it is that we work and how that actually connects to worshiping God. Actually bringing his kingdom, sharing the faith of the gospel message to people that have never heard it before? How does that work connect with the way that we even worship every single day? And so as we start, as you know, we've been doing something to be able to showcase and share just some personal stories of how people have been working. And we've been interviewing uh, different people uh, who are working in our church just to be able to share some things about their struggles and challenges that they face. Uh, and it's not like they're stellar in particular. Actually, you know, they're awesome brothers and sisters, and we want to encourage them. But uh, they are just examples of what God is doing through the workplace. And so I want to invite up our brother Lee and uh, Sarah up. Can we give them a hand as they come up to the stage? Um, so as they come up, we'll also have the photos of... Uh, them and some of their backgrounds, and, and we'll just do kind of interview style, and I'll ask them some questions, and we'll hear from them uh, different things and uh, uh, how their work is. So maybe, uh, no pressure, right? <laughs> All right, so uh, we just want to keep, maybe what you can do is just tell us about yourself first, and just introduce uh, what you do, and what do you do outside of just this church community, outside of when we see you on Sundays and life group? Sure. Okay. Hi, I'm Sarah Young, and... Um, I actually uh, joined HMCC in 1998 back in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was a freshman at the University of Michigan, and that's how I came to this church. 
and I'm still here. <laughs> and um, I met my husband there, Dave, and we had our kids there. Um, and actually, I worked for 10 years uh, back at the University of Michigan Medical School. I did clinical research because my background is public health. And currently, I'm a homemaker. And this is my, ever since I came to Hong Kong in 2015, that's officially when I am doing homemaker full time. So this is my fifth year doing it. So I, I feel fairly new, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Hi. I am uh, Dr. Yap, uh, I'm, I'm a family physician. Um, uh, we are family physicians are one of the first people who uh, patients come and uh, look for when they have problems. Um, we see, well, my clinic is in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I have my uh, own clinic in the Cane Road. Um, the left, on the left, on my left is uh, Brian, my son, and uh, on my right is my daughter, uh, uh, Brenda. So. Um, uh, we see many uh, acute cases and uh, chronic cases. Acute cases are like, say, um, uh, chest infections, uh, minor trauma, uh, vertigo, yeah? And um, uh, chronic cases are like uh, hypertension, uh, diabetes, uh, gout, depression, and anxiety. So sometimes we see uh, several members of the same family, from grandparents to children and now to grandchildren. So um, I'm very glad to be a uh, part of the HMCC. All right, excellent. Great job. So maybe we can start with Dr. Yab. As a physician, as a doctor, what are some of the issues that you face at work on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, um, one of the issues uh, uh, is the sense of disappointment and um, uh, the, the sense of failure to uh, relieve some of the sufferings of our patients. Uh, especially terminal uh, patients. Um, it, there are some diseases uh, that have, there's no cure for, especially that, uh, say, cancers, when they have spread to uh, many different parts of the body. So you can see the, on the look at the faces, uh, the faces of uh, desperation, depression, and there's uh, really nothing very, very much we can do for that, apart from palliative care. So um, the second uh, issue I've... Uh, faces the um, uh, feeling of sadness and, uh, when my patients uh, pass away. Some of them are young, so, so many are old. So um, uh, these are some of the issues. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it must be difficult. I mean, I've, I think for Sarah as, as well, as I guess as a homemaker or domestic engineer, what are some of the challenges that you might encounter? Uh, well, there's so many, but I'm not going to bore everyone with the details. But I do think overall, like, a homemaker can be a very thankless job. Because everything that I do, it's, it's expected, right? Just for the livelihood of the family, whether it's the cooking and it's the cleaning. Because otherwise, if, we don't, if I don't do this, then we'll be living in filth and the children will be starving. Um, and so I know it's my responsibility and it is a great joy. But sometimes, you know, I don't expect my husband or my kids to be like, thank you so much every day for cleaning the toilet. Thank you, you so much. You mean they don't for thank you every day? No. Nope. <laughs> I get it on Mother's Day, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think those are the challenges. And then you invest so much in your kids, right? But you don't see results for like years. And so you just wonder like, where is it all going? It's some black hole, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll pray for you, right? <laughs> <Thank> you, yes. <laughs> 
Well, maybe back to uh, Dr. Yehab. In light of some of the challenges that you encounter, um, how, does that, how does your faith make a difference in your workplace? Or how do you see work as a, as a worship, even, even as you've been learning about Christ and developing in your faith? Yeah, um, for me, Christ is the only way to my salvation. So um, I come back to the first issue regarding the um, uh, sense of um, disappointment. So um, I pray to God and uh, uh, pray for guidance and blessing to, uh, in all the things that I do uh, for my patients and hope that they will uh, be relieved of their suffering as much as, I, as, as they can, as I, I can help them. And um, uh, they are also so, uh, you know, when, you, when you see patients with uh, uh, this suffering, we, we think about God. God loves us first and we have to love our patients and um, uh, in, in times when they, they, are, uh, uh, they, they are in difficulties, uh, well, uh, sometimes I ask patients uh, to uh, go to the ch uh, a, a church nearby to Cane Road. And, um, uh, and also, I, uh, also uh, uh, I've, I've prayed with my patients uh, in the clinic. And it's on the second issue about uh, sadness uh, when patients die, um, Christians, uh, when they leave this world, they will be uh, united with our Father in heaven and in peace and in eternity. So whenever my Christian patients die, I uh, will not feel sad because I know they will be with our Father. So those are the things. Amen, amen. Thanks for sharing that. That's really encouraging to be able to have that perspective, especially seeing the things that you've seen and, and the issues that you've well, I mean, for Sarah, how about as you as well with the difficulties that you have as a homemaker, with the black holes that yeah. <laughs> don't seem to grow, but what, what are some of the ways that you connect faith with what you do, and, and how do you worship God through that? Um, I think what I'm constantly broken in and reminded is, like, I can't make this about myself. I think as a mother and as a wife, like, you want to do a good job to get some sort of, you want to get something back, or I want to display my family and be like, yeah, this was my investment. Aren't they good kids? And, you know, is my marriage awesome? And, no, I really quickly learned, like, no matter how much I invest and try to do my best, you know, in, in raising this family um, or investing in this family, like, it can all fall apart, you know? It doesn't really come down to me. And so I'm learning through my faith that I just have to surrender and I have to trust that as I give my best, like, in the end, God has to be the one to really take care of my kids, to uh, strengthen our relationships, and, and that is my worship, you know, that at the end, like, it's not when people see our, our children that they don't say, like, oh, it's because of you and Dave, but really God has, you know, met them and is molding and shaping them each and every day because, honestly, raising kids is the hardest, hardest thing. And, you know, it can break you in ways like you just can't even understand and you just can't do anything. But that's when God comes in and that's when we give all glory to God because he's the one who will take it all the way. Yeah. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing. It makes us really look forward to having kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes! <laughs> they're wonderful. <laughs> but they're worth it, right? They're worth it. They are worth it. They're worth it, it. Yes. okay. Right, Toby, Addy, Ali, you're they're worth it. <laughs> so uh, the last question we wanted to ask both of you is uh, how can we pray for you? What are some of your prayer requests uh, in light of your work? 
Um, I would like to, uh, you to pray for me to uh, for God's uh, continued um, uh, guidance and blessings for me to uh, 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 guide my patients and treat my patients and uh, manage my patients uh, to the best of my ability and I hope that they will uh, recover quickly from the illness and have uh, as little suffering as possible and also to help me um, uh, um, uh, uh, talk to them about uh, to, to help the mission in, uh, while, while, I, while I'm working in my, uh, in my clinic. Um, for me, I think just, and for all of us who are investing in our families, just pray for patience and pray for strength because we run out, um, but we just need, yeah, that supernatural covering um, and just to really lean and depend on him as we, we go through all the challenges of the ups and downs. Okay, well, thank you for sharing again. And uh, what we want to do at this time is pray for uh, Dr. Yap and Sarah. And also, I want to invite any of us who are in the healthcare field, whether you're working already, maybe you're studying in that area. Uh, and those of you who are family parents, I want to actually ask you to stand. And we want to pray for those of you who might be in those areas. Uh, and just as a symbol of just uniting together as a church. Uh, just to be able to lift up in prayer as I pray for uh, Dr. Yap and Sarah. So if you're uh, within the healthcare field, you're studying, you know, anything related to healthcare, if you are a parent, if you're part of a family married couple, I want to invite you to stand, and if you're around them, can we just stretch out our hands and just uh, want to lift up and pray for those of you who are in that area, okay? So uh, let's just pray together and uh, just agree with me as I lift them up. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for... Uh, Dr. Yap, we thank you so much that you're using him and you saved him so that he can have this redeemed perspective of even his work as a physician, that you, ultimately you are the great physician. We pray that you would bless him as he shares his faith with his patients. You would heal them miraculously by your power. I pray for Sarah as well as she continues to uh, labor and, and worship you even through just taking care of the kids, the family, the home. And God, it is a high calling, Lord, and we pray that it wouldn't be diminished in any way, but she would be able to see you as her ultimate worship. And I pray for the rest of us here as well, those of us that are in the healthcare industry, that we will be able to use our gifts and our talents and our knowledge to be able to be healing uh, bodies that will be used by you to bring healing to this world. Lord, not just physical healing, but spiritual healing as well. I'm praying for all the families. We know that it's quite difficult. It's stressful. There are so many things that will come up in light of uh, just the tensions of family life, and we're praying that you would allow each and every single family, each and every single mother, father, husband, uh, wife, and, and children, Lord, to worship you and trust in you ultimately. So we thank you so much for these brothers and sisters in our church, and we lift them up to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give uh, them a hand as they come down? <laughs> Praise God. And, and I'm just so encouraged that the last three weeks that we've been able to hear real examples and sharing from just people like yourself who are just ordinary people who are working. And I think that's the greatest joy of being able to be part of our church, to see how God is actually working in every single one of us. And one thing that I know Pastor Seth and I will uh, just agree and, and, and hope to communicate to those of you is, is it's really the work that we do, even as pastors, even as church, it's not so that you can somehow support the church so that we can be pastors and we can do the preaching and things like that. In fact, it's the other way around. Everything that we do as pastors, as leaders, 
is to empower, to strengthen you and your faith so that you can live out your faith, you can grow in maturity, so that you can be the representative that Christ wants you to be out wherever that it is that you are. And so that's why we wanted to talk about work as worship or, or worship in work because it's such an important topic because when we think about our lives, oftentimes we do have this dichotomy because maybe some of us, we grew up in church and we have this mentality of, oh, worship is just singing. It's like the band that comes up and they're like, lift your hands, turn it up, you know, and your hands go up and then your hands go down, right? That's worship, right? Or sometimes we think worship as like evangelism. Like, oh, I have to share my faith and I have to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's the only way that I can worship. That's one way, but that's not the only way. And I'm wondering how many of us we see work as worship in so many different forms, whether it's our vocational work, meaning the, the place that we spend every single day from 8 to 5 or 8 to 6 or 8 to 9, we do OT, whether it's our studies, our grades, whether it's our family lives, the way that we invest, just as Sarah was sharing about investing in the kids, in the family, in the home. And the biggest challenge is not that we don't know that our work should be integrated in these things, but it's actually living it out. And there's something that's always hindering us, whether it's our view of work, our understanding of how work is connected to God's kingdom, or it's just the fear of just taking that step out in faith to say, I want to do something about it. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We want to go and look at a passage, Philippians 1, 21 to 27, and you can turn to that passage and just keep your finger in there. And I want to just give us the one thing for this morning. The one thing is that Jesus' work of redemption compels us to work for God's kingdom. Jesus' work of redemption compels us to work for God's kingdom. It has to be Jesus' work of redemption. But there's something about that work of redemption that when we understand it, that when we embody it, that when we live it out, when we see it connected to every aspect of our lives, then there's something, it will just compel us. You can't, you can't even resist it. It will compel us to say, God, I want to do everything for your kingdom. And we want to talk about that this morning. So there are three things I want to talk about this morning, uh, subpoints. The three subpoints is that work is redeemed by Christ, for others, through our lives. There are three things I want to talk about. Work is redeemed by Christ, and then for others, and through our lives. And we're going to see how work that is redeemed is going to change our whole perspective of what we do and how we live out our Monday through Saturday, and not just on the church day. So let's read it together. Hopefully you've turned to Philippians 1. If you uh, don't have a Bible, then turn to someone next to you. Also, those of you who have uh, downloaded the mobile app, I want to encourage you to download it. If you haven't, you can follow along with some of the notes. There will be fill in the blank uh, as we continue along with the message. So let's read Philippians 1. We're going to start with verses 21 to 23. It says, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So when we think about work as redeemed by Christ, we look at this passage and we have to know a couple of things for us to really understand what the author is saying. The author is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church 
in Philippi. And Paul is actually writing this letter in prison. He's actually in prison for his faith. And earlier in the passage, before we get here, he's actually sharing with the church in Philippi that he's been imprisoned because he's preaching the gospel. And actually his perspective, he realizes that initially he might have been discouraged, but he realized that somewhere along the line, even though he was in prison, that he's still able to rejoice because everyone in prison knows that he's in prison because of his faith. And he's been able to share it. And so he has this perspective that somehow God is somehow working all things in a different way than what he expected. So when he, as he's realizing it, that's where we pick up in verse 21, and he says something really radical about life and death. Paul's perspective of life and death, it's really different. It's really radical. It's something that, you know, I think if we think about the normal average everyday person, we wouldn't make these statements. In verse 21, he says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And when we think about life and death, like, apart from Christ, like, let's, let's set aside, I know many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us, we grew up in Sunday school, and we know, like, the, the Christian answer, right? So let's set aside Sunday school, you know, aside from now on. Praise God for the building block teachers. You know, they're awesome, and they're teaching the children Christian values. But let, let's set that aside for now, and let's just think about life and death. Just humanly speaking, like, what's our perspective on life and death? And if we're honest, some of us are, like, super optimistic. We're like, well, life is great and everything's awesome. But if we look at, you know, the holistic view of life and death, it can get really depressing. And, and we see this with people who are very honest uh, in the Bible. And they were very honest about how they felt about life. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, remember uh, the bolded text. Let's read it together. It said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Wow, I'm so excited about life after reading that passage. Now it says toil. You're going to be painful toil. And this is life. You're going to be You came from dust and you're going to go back to dust. Awesome. Life is so meaningful. Right? When we read these verses, like, wow, life is so purposeless. It feels so hopeless. And some of us, we experience that day to day. I, I don't know how many of you recently just started working. You graduated. And, like, you know what that feeling is like. Uh, married couples, you're like, yeah, they, the interns, they don't know anything. Right? They're like, they're only, they only have to work for, like, three month, two months, ten weeks at most. And you're like, just wait till they get to the real world, Right? When you start working, you have to work for the rest of your life. Because they're so excited about the internship, you're like, well, work every day for the next 40, 50 years. Wow. And some of the students are like, oh my god, I can't stand my internship. I'm so tired, right? And working adults and families are like, you don't know anything about toil and work. Waking up every single day, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., going to do the same thing every single day. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 22 to 23. We, we read this passage in the last couple of weeks. It says, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. These are 
reflections, honest reflections about the real state of life. When we think about it, without Christ, without hope, this is the state of life. This is the state of how we view work. It's toilsome. It's meaningless. It's filled with hard work and anxiety and difficulty, pain and grief. So it's like, how, how, Paul, how do, you, how, how do you somehow see that life is Christ and death is gain? Where does that perspective come from? Even death, it's not like we jump. How many of us, we jump in, up and down like, I can't wait till I die? How many of us are like that? Yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm like, you know, I can't wait. When I'm 70 and I pass away, I'm so excited for that day. No! We think about funerals, right? It's, it's mourning. You're, you're, you're depressed. And you, some of you have had family members or friends or relatives who have passed away, and it's devastating. And rightly so. But somehow Paul has this mentality. He redefines the idea of living and dying. He has a different mindset of life and death in light of who Christ is. And we want to know why that is or how that is. And Paul states, death is gain. And he says something interesting. He says, death is departing with Christ, which is far better. And so what he's saying is because Christ has redeemed, because he has died on the cross for us, he's actually risen from the grave, and there's truth in God's word that says, we will also rise again with him. And Paul is taking that truth and saying, you know what? Death is no longer depressing anymore. Death is no longer hopeless anymore. Death is no longer something to mourn for all of our days anymore. I don't know if any of you have been to a Christian wedding, but you know, I, I, I went, oh, sorry, not a wedding. I caught myself. Christian funeral, sorry. Very different, okay, very different. <laughs> I don't know if you've any, anyone's been to a Christian funeral before, but um, this was actually right after it became Christian. I actually had a friend who's... Um, Younger brother actually passed away. It was really unfortunate and really sad. Uh, but um, because we were, you know, in the same class, we were friends, they invited us to attend the funeral. And it was really interesting. We actually sang worship songs during the funeral. I, I was, like, shocked. You know, like, how is it that you have this perspective to be able to somehow, you know, like, worship songs? Like, they praise God. Like, God, you're so good. And we're so happy and joyful. It's like, you, this is a funeral, guys. We should be sad, you know? We should be mourning. And yes, there is mourning. Yes, people are crying, right? Because they're just honest about their emotions. But somewhere in that process, as they're wrestling and processing through what's happening and as they internalize their faith, they're able to say, still yet, God, you are still praised. And because, God, we know that that person, if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, they are now with you in heaven. And we rejoice after that. It's because of 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has any dominion over us. We no longer fear death. We no longer worry, like, God, what's going to happen to me? Like, am I going to, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you ask, you know, when you're a kid growing up, like, oh, what's the worst way that you could die? What are you most terrified of? And like, oh, I don't want to die in my sleep, or I don't want to die by, you know, old age, or I don't want, you know, like, weird things. I don't know why I talked about that as a kid, but, you know, like, like we were just, like, genuinely worried about, like, oh, I don't want to die. But after becoming Christian, after knowing that Jesus Christ has conquered death, then we don't worry about it anymore. 
Because we celebrate because that means we get to go with be, be with Jesus Christ for eternity. So that's why Paul is able to say, you know what, death is gain. But the question is now, why is he also able to have a different perspective on life? Because we said life is toil. Here's Paul's argument. And that argument, the crux of the argument, is when Paul says he is hard-pressed between the two in that verse. That word hard-pressed, the question is, why is Paul hard-pressed between life and death? That phrase hard-pressed is translated in the New Century Version as hard-to-choose. There's something he's wrestling. There's two decisions. He's between life and death. It's, it's hard for him to choose, hard for him to figure out which one is better. In the New Living Translation, it says he's torn between. I don't know how many of you, you you're, you're torn between two different things before. You, you know what it feels like. And, and it's not just like, I know some of us are thinking like, oh, should I do Cafe de Coral today or Fairwood? Which one? I can't, I'm torn. Or, or it's like, oh, man, should I, Apple or Android? Or some of us, like, before we're entering into college, it's like, CUHK, HKU, PolyU, or HKUST, I'm torn. Some of us are like, I didn't get to, <laughs> like, that was my last, my backup option. And you're like, wow, I can't believe, you know, that was my first choice. <laughs> Thank God I got into that university. It, it's, it goes beyond that. It's this idea of your mind being impelled or disturbed. It's this idea of suffering because it's so difficult. Because there's something that is just battling inside of you. Paul is hard-pressed between the two. And for him to be torn between life and death, even though he says death is much better, for him still to be torn to say, you know what, I'm still struggling between the two decisions. That means there's something about life, the work that he does every single day. There's something that has changed. It's no longer toil to him. Can you imagine Paul saying, like, oh, I'm so torn between the two. I, like, I can't, I'm struggling between going to be with Christ, which is the best, versus living life that's toilsome and horrible and depressing and painful. That, 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 that comparison doesn't make sense. But his view of life has changed, and we see that. Because we know that here Paul sees living as fruitful labor. He says, for me to live is Christ. And then he says, for if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In the Amplified Version, that, that word fruitful labor is translated as useful and productive service. Useful and productive service. I wonder how many of us we actually see our labor, our work, as fruitful. As something that is productive, something that is useful. For Christ. Not for other things. Not for our boss, not for our family. Not for Christ. That we have this mentality of, you know what? Life and work is no longer painful and toilsome and grieving, even though we do struggle with it. But in the bigger scheme of things, you know what? It is fruitful. In Titus 2, chapter, four, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Christ Jesus, who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Christ, he redeemed us. That redemption was because he was crucified. So he paid with his blood 
Redemption, it's a, it's a transaction, right? There's a cost involved. And so there has to be a, a payment given. The payment was Jesus Christ's blood. He purchased us so that now we are his own possession. We are owned by him. We are his possession. And as we are his possession, now that allows us to be enthusiastic for doing what is good. Because who is good? God is good. We're not doing it for other things anymore. We're doing it for God because God is good. And the reason why we're able to be fruitful and not just think about, okay, God, I'll be fruitful in heaven. Now this is going to be pain and toil. But no, even today we can be fruitful. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That fruit bearing has to be related or in Christ. Is not for your job. It's not for your family. It's not for people on this earth. It's for Christ. Fruitfulness goes and it's for Christ. And it's only because of Christ, because he's redeemed us, because he's purchased us. Are you following? Does that make sense? So pretty much Paul is elevating work in our lives. Because of Christ, not only is death no longer what we see it as, but also life now has new meaning, new purpose, and a sense of fruitfulness. And this is the principle that I want us to understand. Is that whatever owns your work, whatever it is that owns your work, whether it's your boss, your family, your patients, your clients, whatever it is that owns your work, that owner is going to determine the fruit or the results that come out of your work. Now let me explain, let me give you some examples of what I mean by this. If your work is owned by your performance. If your work, if, your, if everything is for your performance, the reason why you do everything is for your performance or for your boss in order to meet a certain standard, then what's the fruit that's going to be produced as a result of that? Either you can be on one side and you can be really proud and you can be really excited because you're doing so amazing. Your boss every single day is like, high five, good job. And he's praising you and he's like, well, you should get promoted. And then what's the fruit that comes out of that in your life? You usually get proud. You usually get haughty. You think that, oh, I'm, I'm so amazing and I'm all that. And you begin to judge other people. It's harder for you to love others. You compare yourself with them. You begin to have this competitive spirit. It's quite hard to love others in that way. On the other side, what's the other side of the other reaction of if our if the own owner of our work is our performance or our boss, what happens is we get insecure because we're not performing well enough. We get devastated. I don't know how many of you, I, I've done this before where I, I had a horrible day of work and I just went home to my bed and I cried and I was sobbing. I was like, oh my God, I can't do this well. Either way, if your owner is your performance, your boss, then it's either going to end in pride or insecurity, which are actually the same thing. Let, let's say it, you're, you're, the owner of your work is your family or your security or your stability. Then either you're going to be really discouraged because you're not doing enough for your family, for your kids. Your kids are running wild. And you're like, God, what's going on? Because they're misbehaving, because they're, they're not doing what you want them to do. Of course we're going to be discouraged. Of course we're going to feel like oh, all is lost. Because we believe somehow that our work is based on how much our kids are obeying us. Or how much our spouses are somehow responding to us. Or doing the things that we want them to do. 
Students, if your studies, if the GPA is the owner of your work, what happens? I don't know how many of us are really excited about our GPA these days. Midterms just happen, right? And you're like, oh, Lord, my GPA. So what's going to happen? Either you're going to say, oh, i got to work much, much harder next time. And you know what? Screw God. I, I need to study. I can't go to life group, can't go to Sunday, can't become a member. i got to study because my GPA. And then that separates you from God. But what if we realize, you know what? Our work and everything that we do is actually owned by Christ. We're, our bosses, we no longer work for our bosses. We no longer work for our GPA. We no longer work for our spouses or our kids. But the reason why we work, our owner of our work, the bosses of our work is Jesus Christ. How many of us, we said, you know what? My boss is Jesus Christ instead of my boss, my actual boss. I wonder if that would change the way that we work. I wonder if we said, you know what, uh, my, my spouse is not my boss, my, my kids are not my boss, even though sometimes the kids are like the queen of the household, right, or the king of the household, everything that they say goes. But they're not my, my owner, but Christ is my owner, because he has redeemed me, he's purchased me with his blood. Then, man, I, everything I do, I work for Christ instead. At work, I, I sometimes, uh, I get really frustrated uh, sometimes at work. Uh, Erica knows this really well. Like, half the messages I send to her is like, oh, my gosh, work, this happened again. And I, I think it's really frustrating, I think, sometimes because my boss, he works at a really high level. So certain things that I think are important are not important to him. Certain things that he thinks are important are not important for me. And so uh, I, I just end up complaining a lot. And this always happens where, like, I work really hard on something, and then he's just like, oh, okay, it's, it's fine. Or he'll be like, why didn't you do that? I'm, like, freaking out, and I'm frantically trying to do that thing. But it, it always ends up where there's a mismatch of communication. And then because, like, I'm working for him, I get really discouraged. Like, there, there are some projects now, now these days, I'm just like, he's not even going to care. And so, like, I don't really have to work hard, so I'm just going to do, like, the bare minimum because he's not going to look at it anyway. And I'm realizing, you know what, like, that's my view and my mentality when I treat my boss as the owner of my work and not Christ. Uh, but uh, it was, like, a month or two ago where um, it was really interesting. My boss, he was looking over some of the things that we were working on, and we were entering a competition for our company, an awards competition for education in Hong Kong. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, we're going to do this competition. Like, do you, you know, like, what do you want us to do? He's like, oh, don't, just do whatever you want. So I was like, okay, you guys, he doesn't care. Um, so I was like, okay, but I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, I said, because I really feel like this award, if we are able to get this award, it will really help our company. And it's really going to be a blessing, and it's going to encourage all my colleagues. I said, you know what, I, I really want to do this. I really want to put some effort into it. And, and it really somehow became a worship for God more than, like, for other people. And uh, I don't know what got into me, but, like, the night before the, uh, the presentation, like, usually I, I, I don't ever do work outside of work hours, right? Like, once I'm out, then I'm, like, with Life Group or doing other things. And then, but for whatever reason, that evening before the, the pitch competition, the award ceremony that I was submitting for, like, we had to give a one-minute pitch, pitch, and I was like, man, i got to practice, I got to rehearse this thing. And I don't know what got into me. Like, I spent, like, a couple hours, like, at night. I was staying up till 12 a.m. midnight, like, practicing this, this, this competition, this pitch 
it was just a one-minute pitch. And I was just like, why am I practicing for so long? And then Erica was giving me feedback. And she was like, no, you got to do this better. And I was like, yeah, because she's a lot better at communication. So she's giving me tips. I was like, oh, man, like, uh, I don't know why. It was just something was motivating me to do something as a worship to God. And then the next day, we had the pitch competition. There were like 20-some teams all pitching. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, they're actually so good. I, I have no idea, like, if this is going to go well or not. And then we did the pitch. It went over really quickly in one minute. The guy's like, eh, one minute's over, stop. You know, you're like a little bit shocked. And I didn't expect anything out of it. But when they announced the finalists to move on to the next round, they're, they're announcing top four, we actually won the finalist position. And in my mind, I was like, what? What, like, what just happened? You know, I was, I was shocked personally. I didn't expect to win, to be honest. But I don't know, something in my, in my mind realized, you know what, like when I really treat Christ as the one who I'm working for, like my motivation, the effort I put in, it totally changes. It's totally different than if we're just working for the boss or for that other person. Because if I was doing this for my boss, I think I would, to be honest, I think I would be like, that's ah, okay, I'll just try a little bit and then we'll see what happens. Because he doesn't really care. If he doesn't care, then what, why put the effort into it? But because I saw this as my worship to Christ, it actually really went well. And it was actually now that it was like the first award thing that our company was part of. And now we have something to actually market and put on our website. It's like, <laughs> praise the Lord, right? And I was like, man, if I had never thought about this as worship to Christ, then that would never have happened. I'm like, man, God, how can I, how can I see work as redeemed by you so I'm working for you instead of for myself or for other people. And I'm wondering how many of us, we, we actually believe that Christ has redeemed our work. We actually believe that he's the ultimate boss now and not anyone else. It's, it's not for our spouse anymore. That's not why we are doing this homemaker thing. It's not so that they could be happy. It's, it's not for our boss at work anymore so that somehow that they could be happy and they can get us a promotion. It's not for our, our professor somehow so that they can like us enough that they can bump up our grade because we just got like that barely uh, failing, but we want them to pass us instead. It's not to prove ourselves anymore. And it's because ultimately it's for Christ. He's redeemed all things. I'm wondering if we believe that work is redeemed by Christ, that our whole view of everything that we do would totally change. We said work is redeemed by Christ, and it's also for others. Work is redeemed for others. Let's continue on and read verses 24 to 26. It says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We talked about work is redeemed by Christ and also now for others. And Paul, now he's talking about the decision that he made. Remember, he was talking about life and death. I'm hard-pressed between the two. And, and usually, like, when we're in life, when we're in Bible study and we're having these discussions, usually it kind of ends up like this. If we're, we're picking, like, two different decisions. Like, should you do this or should you do this, right? A or B. And usually our conclusion is, is what? Oh, like, the actual decision that you make, it doesn't really matter as long as your heart's in the right place, right? Like, a lot of us, like, we subscribe to that. And that, that's very true, right? Oftentimes, like, it's not so much the actual behavior that God so much cares about, but it's more your intention, your motivation. But it's interesting because Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't say, 
oh, both life and death are awesome as long as my heart's in the right place. He doesn't say that. He says, no, one is more important. Paul concludes that remaining in the flesh and living is more necessary. It's more necessary. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, how do, you, how do we determine if something is more necessary? Paul, what, what means are you using to make this decision? Because there are so many things, so many ways that we make decisions in this world or determine if something is more important or not. Like one way is cost-benefit analysis. Right? We, we say, list out all the pros, list out all the cons, and whichever decision has more pros and less cons, you choose that one. Right? Some of us, we do that. Some of us are like, you know, this girl has more pros, this guy has less cons, and then I'm going to choose that one, right? Please don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. Another way that we determine decisions is urgency and importance, right? We list out, what's the most urgent task that I have at hand, then I need to do that first. Or what's the most important thing? Or then we get really technical and we say, oh, I found this real cool framework. It's an urgency versus importance framework. And I map it out to see which is both urgent and important. And I want to do that one. Or another way that we do it is by relationship. Depending on what project that we're in, who we're working, who our colleagues are, who our families are, then we choose based on who we feel more relationally connected with. Those are just three examples. I'm sure there are others. But when we think about these different ways, whether it's cost-benefit analysis, whether it's urgency versus importance, whether it's relational, what is the underlying consistent theme between all of these? Who's at the center? It's yourself. It's all about me. Pros and cons, what's best for me? Urgency or importance, what's most urgent for me? What's most important for me? Relationship, who's most connected to me? But if God has redeemed work, then there has to be a different way to make decisions. Paul, he said his purpose is for others' growth and joy in Christ. He's saying it's not about him anymore. It's not about what he wants anymore. It's not about himself anymore. He's saying, now that work is redeemed, now my purpose, my, my work is for someone else. It's for others. He's so convinced of this. He says, when we look at that passage, he says what? To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's for your progress and joy in the faith. It's so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. The purpose is so that someone else can experience the hope and the joy of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of us, we have the mentality when we think about work and we're making decisions in our day-to-day? -day? I mean, this was, you know, when I was a kid, I think doing homework, like, was just so that I could get something else, right? Like, so many of us, when we think about work, usually the reason why we look at work uh, in a difficult way is because it's in a selfish way it's all because work is something to get something for ourselves right in Ecclesiastes we read that verse earlier but I just want to point back to it again it says so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety their days of labor are filled with pain and grief even at night their lines, minds cannot rest it is all meaningless so we've gotten in this mindset that work is something 
where we can get something out of it. Does that make sense? Usually the way that we look at work is so that we can get something out of it. When I was a kid, this is, this is my mentality. Like when I did homework, the reason why I did homework, I tried to finish all my assignments, is so that I can get more time so that I could do my own thing, so I could play video games and watch TV. Like literally my, my teachers in middle school would assign the assignment. As soon as I got it, I would just try to finish it as fast as possible so I could run home and watch cartoons for like four hours. My parents would get so upset. They're like, why don't you do your homework? I'm like, I'm done, right? Like, you can't blame me because I finished, right? So I do the work. I'm very motivated to do it so that I can get something else. But I realize, you know what? I don't know if that's the best mentality because now as I'm, like, like older now and I'm married, like, if I have this mentality with my spouse, it's going to go over really poorly, right? Like, if I, if I only do dishes so that I can somehow get on my wife's good side, that's going to go over really poorly. And, and, and as, I'm think, as I'm realizing these things, I'm... I'm thinking, you know what, because, because what's going to happen, my wife knows me pretty well, and she's going to realize, you know what, he's only doing it just so that, like, he can get me off his back, right? Or, or he's only doing it so that he can get something, or that he can somehow placate or maintain our relationship. But who does it ultimately come back down to? It comes back down to me. It's my selfishness. It's my issues, my insecurities. Like, why, why do I put the toilet seat down, you know? Like, why do I do the laundry? Why do I clean the apartment? You know, if, if it's all for me, then I'm just doing things out of, like, selfishness because I don't want to get on someone's bad side. But when is it to the point where, you know what I'm saying? God, I, I want to do this so that instead of doing it for myself, so that I'm protecting myself, so that I'm preserving my own image, you know what, God, I'm going to do it so that someone else can experience the joy of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know why I was thinking this, but I was like, God, like, what if I wash the dishes so that my wife could experience the joy of Jesus Christ? <laughs> like, by my washing the dishes, she could have more time to pray or to rest or to, you know, spend time with God. Or what if by my doing the laundry, like, that's going to enable her to, you know, just feel loved and feel cherished and through that action that she experiences the love of Jesus? It's, a total, it's, it's the same action, but it's a different mentality. It's a different mindset. And I realize if everything is done by my own selfish decision-making, then, of course, it's not going to go well. And the question for us is, is will we continue to see work? Whether, whether work is for you caring for your family or doing your assignment or completing this project for your boss. When will we, continue, when will we stop seeing work as something that we just have to get something out of. That if I do this work, that somehow my boss is going to give me this in return. When are we going to say, you know what, God, that's not what it's about anymore? When is the time where we're going to say, you know what, God, I'm ready to die to myself? That's not for me anymore. It's not for my own gain. It's not for my own image. It's not for my own privilege anymore. But it's for someone else to experience the love of Jesus Christ. For someone else to see how good God is. For someone else to experience joy that they've never been able to experience before. I'm wondering if we will be able to do that because we realize work is redeemed for others. We talked about work is redeemed by Christ for others and through our lives. Now the last point is that work is redeemed through our lives. Let's finish with the last verse, verse 27. 
It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In the first uh, five, six verses, we see that Paul is sharing from himself, his own perspective, his own attitude. He's saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me, it's fruitful labor. For me, now I'm choosing to live, and I know that I will live because it's more necessary for you. Right? He's saying it from my perspective, his perspective. But in verse 27, all of a sudden, we see Paul now turns his attention to you, to the readers. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And our questions and, and, and what he's trying to do is Paul is right now imagining his readers are probably asking, that's great, Paul, that's great that you're doing that. But I don't know how to live it through my life. I can't 100% say for, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like what area of my life is this relevant in? And Paul, he's addressing this question. He says, it's your whole life. It's your whole life. Every aspect of it. There's no dichotomy. There's no area where this is the spiritual work in your life and this is the unspiritual work. In the Amplified Version of verse 27, he says, Only be sure to lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lead your lives, your whole life. Not just one portion of it. Not just one segment of it. Your whole life. I know some of us, like, we, 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 are, we, are, we are in our faith, we grew up in church, maybe we have this routine, this, um, this habit of coming to church on Sunday, and we've done a really great job of coming to church on Sunday. But how many of us, you really believe, you know what, God is the only God on Sunday? Where's God the rest of your life? Did God say, lead your life for me on Sunday only? Or lead my life for me only on Tuesday or Wednesday for life group. Monday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you don't need to worry about me. You don't need to think about me. Of course, none of us would say that's what we believe, but by the way we live our lives, that's what we're communicating. Somehow we, somehow we think, okay, God, I only worship you on this day, and on other days I don't worship you. But where do we see that in the Bible? Where is that? Sometimes we come, and we come every Sunday, we do our Christian duty, and then we go off and we do our own thing. Where is that in the Bible? If we somehow said, you know what, God, you saved me, you love me, I'm sinful, and I have, I have no right to be loved by you, but for whatever reason, you love me, and you gave yourself for me, and then after we receive that, somehow we take that and we say, you know what, okay, God, I'm just going to give you Sunday. Is that really what the gospel is about? Is that really what Jesus died for, your Sunday, your Tuesday evening, your Wednesday evening? I don't know why. I, I, I really want to challenge some of us. We're just Sunday Christians. We're, we're just committed as long as it doesn't interfere with the rest of our lives, whenever it's convenient for us. And it's not just the Sunday Christians. Those, those some of you who are like, oh, I'm only going to life when I have time. Because it's all about you, right? 
It's not about the gospel. I, I only serve when it's convenient for me. I only give when it's convenient for me. Where do we see that in the Bible? Paul says, lead your lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. That's your whole life. There's no separation of my church life, my faith life, versus my secular life. And he continues on. I want to read that verse again in the New Century Version. He says, only one thing concerns me. Be sure that you live in a way that brings honor to the good news of Christ. Then whether, whether I come and visit you or I'm away from you, I will hear that you are standing strong with one purpose, that you work together as one for the faith of the good news. So not only is it your whole life, but your whole life is for what? It's working together with other believers in Jesus Christ so that someone else can experience the good news. And so someone else can experience who Jesus is. So someone else can experience the same joy, the same hope that we have. The same revelation that says, you know what, I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because I have this hope in Jesus Christ and I know that no matter what happens to me, that I have security, I have a relationship with God in heaven. That's what we're working for now. That's our purpose. That's what we're doing. It's through every aspect of our lives we're doing that. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to 38. Jesus is speaking. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. How many of us are like, oh, man, I wish we had more pastors who could do more preaching and more classes? How many of us thought, oh, man, I wish we had more leaders who could lead more life groups? Oh, I wish we had more people who could invest and counsel and disciple us. And we pray that prayer, God, please bring more of those people from other places so that we could grow our church. How many of us, we know that right after this verse in Matthew 9, as the disciples are praying this verse, what happens? Jesus says, you, you go out. You be the workers. I'm wondering how many of us, we realize, you know what, God is saying, you do the work. Your lives are the lives I want to use to work together for the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 14 to 15 in the NIV, it says, How then, this is Paul asking some questions, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Which is people who have never believed in the news of Jesus Christ. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How many of us, there's a burden that you see a classmate, you see a coworker, you see a, a, another family with kids that you're with, and, and, and instead of just being so stressed about how you look or what your image is about them or like how well you're raising your children or how well you're doing your work, instead of that, your first thought is like, man, do they know Jesus? Do they have a living relationship with God that if something were to happen to them tomorrow that they would go to heaven? Does our hearts, do our hearts, do our minds burn with this desire to say, you know what, God, every aspect, every moment in my life, there's an opportunity 
to share my faith. That's why I need to integrate my faith with my work. That's why my work needs to be a worship to God. That's why I need to do excellence. So that someone can look and see, you know what? Wow, God is real. You know what? I, I know some of us are like, but pastor, I don't know how to do this. Listen to the previous two sermons from the previous two weeks. And I want to give you some examples. What are areas that God can work through our lives? I want to share these specifically so there's no excuse. God can work through us through personal evangelism. How many of us, we have this intention that I'm trying to get to know people in my sphere, whether it's other parents at the school that my kids go to, whether it's other colleagues that I go to work with, and some of us, I know, we have this tension like, oh, man, the colleagues I work with, they can't speak English, so I don't know if I could really invite them to church. Then share your faith with them. You can speak the language they can speak. Why don't you share your faith with them? Don't make excuses like, oh, I can't invite them to church. You be the church to them with your life. Your individual work ethic if you work so excellently, I'm, I'm wondering how many of us, you know, our colleagues are like, wow, why do you work so hard? And that's an op awesome opportunity for you to say, you know what, it's not for my boss, it's not for pleasing people, it's genuinely because I want to work for Jesus Christ. And share your faith. Some of us, I want to challenge us, one way is being a missionary. Seeing your work Seeing your studies, seeing your classroom as a mission field. Because our whole lives are redeemed by God for work, for his purposes, for the good news. So then everything should be missions. And I would challenge us, some of us, we cop out, we're like, oh God, I'm going to work and I'm going to like do all these things for missions. But we never actually consider, what if God is calling us to long-term missions? What if God actually wants us to go to another city, another country, another place to share the good news? Another way, work as mission. Literally, your work, and I'm praying that one day this will happen, that some of us, we're working, and we're going to be going up in the corporate ladder. We're going to be starting our own companies. We're going to be managing different things. We're going to have people under us. And I'm praying that one day when we are able to make certain decisions or influence our companies, that we're going to actually be able to use some of those decisions to advance the kingdom of God. Like, I think some of you heard uh, Jackson's story in the first week that we had this series. Actually, his company is actually using water treatment to do missions. And I know that that's, it seems like a pipe dream for some of us. Like, wow, I don't know how that could ever happen. Start praying now. God, would you use me? Prepare me. Maybe it's not going to be this year. Maybe it won't be until 10 years later. But God, start praying right now. God, how can you use my life? Everything that I do. Focus for your mission. I want to close with this verse. It comes from John 5, uh, verse 17 and 19 through 21. It says, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And Jesus gave them this answer. He was talking to the Pharisees. He said, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raised the dead 
and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. When we think about this model of work, it's actually Jesus Christ who's our ultimate model for work. When we think about work that is redeemed, Jesus is the one who models it. Even as the Father is working, our Father in heaven, Jesus is working. And he says, he will show him even greater works than these. You know what the greatest work that Jesus did when he lived on this world? The greatest work that he did was dying on the cross for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. And it didn't stop there. Not only did he die for our sins, but he rose again from the grave. He said, death is defeated. And now you have a new purpose, a new hope, a redeemed, whole, just completely different way of thinking about work and life. That now the reason why you live and the reason why you do work is not so that you can just live your happy life, your happy Christian bubble, but that is so someone else can experience it. And we follow Jesus' model. His work was sacrificing his life so that someone else can experience the life that he had. And so similarly, then as we follow him, we give our lives as a living sacrifice for Christ so that someone else can experience the same love that we've experienced through Christ. And that's why the one thing for us this morning is that Jesus' work of redemption compels us to work for God's kingdom. It's Jesus' work of redemption that compels us to work for God's kingdom. I want to share some next steps for us to make it practical the first is reevaluate the fruit that your work produces. We talked about this in the first point. But who owns your work? Who's your boss? Is it Christ or is it someone else? Is it something else? Some of us, we just really need to take a step back and reevaluate what kind of fruit are we producing. And if we get discouraged, if we get fatalistic, if we get proud, then that's a, a pretty good sign that your boss is someone other than Jesus. We have to do that reevaluation for ourselves. Secondly, repent from making work about what we can get. And some of us, maybe through this time, we realize, you know what? I am making it all about what I can get. Everything I do so I can get something, whether it's with my spouse or whether it's with my colleague or whether it's with my kids or my classmates. It's all about what I can get. But we have to repent of that. Because Jesus Christ says it's better to, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then the third one is recommit to sharing the good news through our work. Sorry, I think it should be good news, not just good. It's good to share good too, but let's recommit to sharing the good news through our work. That everything that we do, our whole lives, whether you're at work and, and you have conversations at lunch with some of your colleagues, or maybe you're just doing the best that you can with your children and saying, you know what, God, like, I just want to do this excellently so somehow that they can see Christ one day. I'm wondering if we'll have that kind of mentality for our class, our group projects to say, you know what, I'm not going to get angry at the free rider. I'm just going to love them so that they will experience the gospel someday, Lord willing, even though sometimes we don't have that faith, but Lord willing, we're going to see that happen. I wanted to show this video just to close out. Um, it's actually two videos put together of, of two uh, CEOs of companies uh, who are actually living out their work 
uh, in the workplace. And I know some of us, like, we, we think uh, CEOs, I can't really relate with them. They, they, they're only there because of their position or title. But one thing I was really touched by was it has nothing to do with their title or position. It has everything to do with their relationship, their intimacy with God, their understanding that God has redeemed work and their lives personally, which allows them to then also share and do everything that they can for God's kingdom. So let's watch this video together as we close. I, I don't know if you caught some of the things uh, that they were saying, but I think some of the things that really just touched me when I was watching some of these interviews uh, from the first gentleman, uh, I think he mentioned it. There was just a moment where he was tearing up, where he just said, you know what, like, uh, he just wants everything that he does to be in line with God's purpose and his plan. And he admitted, he's like, I, I don't do it all the right way. There are certain times where he doesn't want to get out of the way. He doesn't want to surrender to God. But he knows that God has been patient with him every single moment. And, and then the second gentleman, I think it was a little bit hard to catch at the end. But the second gentleman just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep working for God until he takes me back. I don't know, that just perspective just stuck out to me so much. It's like, how many of us, we have this perspective where we say, you know what, God? Everything that I do, every ounce of my work, every hour, every minute that I'm there, at the office, with my kids, with my spouse, in the classroom, every single moment is for Christ Jesus. Because he's been so good to me. I have nothing else. And sure, you can say they're CEOs, they have all this influence, they could do more things. But I'm wondering if every single one of us, we had that kind of mentality, that kind of attitude to say, Jesus, you're my everything. Because you're my everything, you redeemed my life and my work and my toil. That all I want to do, I just want to live it for you. I'm wondering if that would make a profound change not just in our lives, but in, in, in the spheres of influence that we have in our communities, in our, in our workplaces. It would really change the city. So can we respond? Can we just say, God, and maybe my first step is I just, I just need to know you more. I just, need to, I just need to trust in you. I just need to get closer to you. I just need to see just how amazing you are. Lord, that you would turn my affections off of myself, off of my own wants and needs and desires to say, you know what, God? You are the ultimate thing in my life. Your work of redemption has flipped everything upside down. I'm no longer fearful of death. I'm no longer working for myself. I'm working for you. Can we do that? I just feel like maybe some of us, we just need to repent this morning because our our focus has so much been about ourselves and our own lives. We just need to come in repentance to God and just say, God, it has to be about you more than anyone else. Can we just do that? Can we just spend some time just on your own? You can pray out loud, loud enough so you can hear yourself. If that's what you need to do. If some of you need to journal, if some of you need to kneel, get comfortable, whatever it is, for you just to spend that time just repenting and processing and saying, God, I want to come back to you. Let's do that. Let's, let's, I'll just give us some, a couple moments to do that this morning. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.